Welcome to the NutriBlends Animal Ag Podcast, where we tell the truth about American agriculture. On this podcast, false rumors are run out of town. Misleading marketing gets called out for what it is. And you better have good science to back up your claims or you're getting a boot. You hear me? I'm John Ratzenberger, coming to you from Nashville, Tennessee. Healthy animals start with a healthy digestive system. Today, we're going to learn how the intestinal tract impacts more than just nutrient absorption. Dr. Lindsay Whitaker has her doctorate in biological information sciences from the University of Missouri. She has been with Biozyme, a leader in animal nutrition since 2017 and has been around animals, specifically horses, her entire life. Welcome, Dr. Whitaker. In 400 BC, the father of medicine, Greek physician Hippocrates was quoted as saying, bad digestion is the root of all evil. Nearly 2,500 years later, we are finally finding out that Hippocrates was right. Lindsay, what do you think Hippocrates meant by his statement? Well, John, uh, that's actually one of my favorite quotes um, that I learned, you know, sometime during my stint in, in school, and that really stuck with me as I continued into my career. And I think what Hippocrates probably meant is that the digestive system or the GI tract is really responsible for a lot more than just what we would normally think of, um, such as weight gain and upset stomachs and that kind of thing. So after, you know, nearly a decade now, um, of intensive study in the, in the gut health realm, which is still fairly new, but um, has been a popular topic of, of recent research um, at universities and privately as well. I think the scientists are really finally finding out a lot of interesting connections between the gut and the rest of the body. Um, we found connections between the gut and immune function, of course. Uh, we know that 70% of all the immune cells are in the gut. We found connections between the gut and behavior or hormones. Um, we found certainly connections between the gut and inflammation in the body. We found connections between the gut and allergies, between the gut and even arthritis, between the gut and even things like acne, um, and really several other diseases. You know, there's even been some links uh, from the gut to Parkinson's disease and, and on and on. So Lots of lots of new emerging data showing us why Hippocrates was really right. Well, what's the scientific basis for some of those connections between uh, physiological processes you were just mentioning and, and the gut? Are they are they uh, are the direct connections known? In some instances, uh, they are, but you know, every good research scientist knows that every answer usually brings up another question. So I would say that we are by no means done researching any of these connections. Um, and in some cases, you know, we may understand the connection between the gut and other organisms and physiological processes. But for others, you know, we're, we're just beginning to scratch the surface and we're really not quite sure yet. Immunity, for example, we know quite a lot about and its connection to gut health. Um, like I was mentioning before, we already know that in most animals and in humans, 
about 70% of all the immune cells in the body are living within the gut. So that's a pretty obvious connection. In terms of behavior and hormones, there's really two things that come to mind um, that we do know. First, we know that a large percentage of serotonin, which uh, kind of has been nicknamed the happy hormone, is actually produced in the gut. In fact, the gut produces um, something like tens to twenties different hormones and neurotransmitters. And the other connection, you know, between the gut and the brain um, behavior, of course, is, is controlled mainly through the brain, is actually a physical one. So there's actually a direct connection uh, between the gut and the brain called the vagus nerve. And so there's information flowing between those two um, all the time. So that's something that, that we're beginning to really understand more about. The vagus nerve. So there is a direct link between the brain and the gut? Essentially, yeah, there is. So the vagus nerve runs all the way um, from the head to the abdomen. It's actually the longest autotomous nerve in the body. And the name vagus came from vagabond or wanderer. So it sort of just runs down the side of the body. And I've a lot of times heard the vagus nerve uh, referred to as a walkie-talkie between the gut and the brain. Um, maybe the more technical term for that is a communication highway. But the point is the gut talks directly to the brain, telling it how you're feeling through electrical impulses called action potentials. So when you're having a gut feeling, it's a real thing. Yes, yes. It's a very, very real thing. Very interesting. We know now that Hippocrates was probably pretty accurate in his statement, but why do you think that is? What what makes the gut so important to human and animal health as a whole? You know, Hippocrates was probably exaggerating the situation a bit, but yeah, I think he probably was pretty accurate. You know, I think one really important thing that makes the gut so important to overall health and wellness is the population of microbes that live within the gut. A lot of times we collectively call that the gut microbiome. So the gut microbiome is this population of microbes, um, both bacteria and fungi, that live within the gut. There are thousands of different species that inhabit the gut, and if you pulled them all together and took them all out, they'd weigh somewhere between two and five pounds, um, which, by the way, is also roughly the weight of the human brain. And we know that in a human or a cow, the number of bacteria cells um, is actually greater than the number of cells that are actually human cells or cow cells. But what makes the gut microbiome important to health is the diverse tasks and metabolism that those gut microbes can carry out that the human or the animal itself actually could not. The idea that these microbes could contribute to mammalian function and biology in a substantial way didn't come about until fairly recently. In fact, back in the early 2000s, as the Human Genome Project uh, was being completed, um, researchers were sort of stumped. They had only found about 20,000 genes in the human genome, and based on the complexity of human biology and what we know about the number of genes in some other less complex organisms, they expected to find, you know, somewhere between four to five times as many as they did. To search for the missing pieces that could account for that discrepancy, researchers started looking towards other sources of genetic material that couldn't contribute to human function. And one of these they would discover was the human microbiome. 
Later, the same things rang true with cattle and horses and other um, animals that we began to sequence. About 20,000 genes in each of those genomes, give or take. When researchers started looking into those microbiomes from both human and animals, they realized that the microbes' genomes collectively had way more genes than the human or the animal did itself. And all those extra genes contribute to animal health? Yes, in many different ways. And how much does the gut microbiome differ between different animals? Well, it it varies vastly. Um, Back when research was just ramping up on the gut microbiome, a lot of researchers set out to define the normal gut microbiome. You know, what was the best? And what they found out was that was a pretty difficult task. Um, There are tons of factors that affect the makeup of the microbiome. For example, diet, um, whether or not antibiotics had been used, age, and gender. So how do we keep our animals' gut microbiomes in check? I think a lot of it has to do with diet. So, for example, um, in horses, you don't want to overfeed starch because it can cause the starch-loving bacteria to rapidly multiply in the gut microbiome. And this can cause the more arguably important fiber-digesting bacteria to die off. Um, It's really a balancing act. And obviously, you know, there are feed additives and supplements um, that have been developed as, as we have learned more about the gut microbiome that can help improve health, um, both probiotics and prebiotics, um, one of which being Biozyme's feed additive Amifirm. Well, how does a product like the Amifirm help? So Amifirm is actually a prebiotic, and what that means is that it supplies nutrients to the gut microbes. Um, It helps them flourish and be more efficient and multiply quicker. One unique thing about Amifirm is it's able to stimulate both the good bacteria and the good fungi that are in the gut. What knowledge do you think those of us in animal ag can take away from this conversation about the gut and gut microbiome? I really think what producers and other people involved in animal agriculture can take away and what you need to understand is that Um, The gut microbiome is probably more significant than what we've given it credit for to date. We tend to think, uh, especially sometimes with production animals, that gut health equals digestibility. But it's really more than that. Uh, After all, we, we know back to Hippocrates that it is the root of all evil. So digestive health is relying on keeping the gut functioning and healthy, which is a sound plan for raising today's high-performance livestock. It takes a total program that includes proper nutrition, sound management, and the right feed supplements that have been well-researched and show a good ROI. Thank you, Dr. Whitaker, for joining us today, and I want to encourage our listeners to tune in next week to see what's on tap in animal agriculture.